Well, I love VBS. I really do. I got to echo uh, Pastor Jeff there. I, I've done VBS for a long time. You know, it really doesn't get old. It really doesn't. It is a great week in the life of our church. So if you can uh, be a part of it in any way, if you can uh, give um, financially or through donations or whether you can give of your time uh, during the week or whether you can pray, uh, it's so important. And, um, you know, it's going to be a great time. People might, these children might, these children may uh, hear about the love of Jesus Christ for the first time and be able to say yes to him. So it's a pretty cool endeavor. And we will have live lions and live giraffes. If that video was accurate. If the video was not accurate, well, I don't even know what to say about that. It's good to be with you here this morning. We are uh, we're opening a new series today called Conflict Revolution. And speaking about conflict, I saw Endgame with my son and some others this weekend. Let me tell you all about it. Let me tell you. So, you didn't see it? Okay. Just a joke. Anyways, so, conflict. Is conflict a part of your life? Why don't you turn to the person to your right, because I'm really good with uh, congregational participation. Turn to the person to your right and say, I have conflict. Now turn to the person to your left and tell them, yeah, I know. Yep. You do. Conflict is part of the human condition. All right? If you are in any type of group of people, you will or have had or are currently in conflict. Conflict is tough. Conflict is all around us. Sometimes there's conflict at the dinner table because what dad has made for dinner is somewhat unacceptable to some who have actually partaken around the table. Conflict is there when, for some reason, the speed at which I'm driving the car is also unacceptable to some people. Conflict is also there maybe when we have differing opinions about how life should be. Maybe we are tuning into the news or we're checking out some politics or just recognizing that culture is in conflict. Conflict has always been a part of humanity, but it seems like in this 21st century age that we live in, it is done in a way that has truly changed the game. Y'all on social media? Anybody on, anybody on Facebook here? Anybody experience conflict on Facebook? Hmm. Or Twitter? Anybody on Twitter? Anybody ever seen or read or been a part of a Twitter rant? It's like a thing, a Twitter rant. Or on Instagram, I don't even know what you do on Instagram. Instagram shaming maybe. It's all over the place. How is people who follow Jesus, how are we supposed to interact with conflict? We can't get away from it. The question is not about whether or not you're going to have conflict in your life. The question is how you're going to get through it. You know, the Bible doesn't shy away from conflict. There's lots of conflict in the Bible. In fact, in the first couple pages, the first guy said to the first girl, you made me do it. 
And their kids had a falling out. One of them killed the other one. It was terrible. Then we had feuding twin brothers named Jacob and Esau. We had crazy queens named Jezebel and prophets named Elijah. We had King Saul. And then there was King David. And king David was kind of king, but Saul was still in power, and that just got messy. Even Jesus' own followers had conflict. Peter with Paul, and Paul with Mark, and even when Jesus was on the, the earth doing his ministry, some wonderful brainiac disciples decided to ask, now Jesus, when your great kingdom comes, which one of us will be the greatest? The Bible is full of conflict because the Bible's full of life. And the question is, when we follow Jesus, how should we deal with that conflict? See, conflict can kill. Maybe in your life, conflict has killed a relationship. Maybe in your life, conflict has killed your community. Maybe it's damaged your family. Literally, conflict kills people. But does it have to be that way? Sometimes even the absence of conflict, we think everything's fine, but really deep underneath the surface, there is a hardened heart. There's people who aren't talking. Maybe conflict is not about getting your way. Maybe conflict is not about being an inconvenience. Maybe conflict is an opportunity. Maybe conflict is an opportunity to see demonstrated in real life the power and grace and love of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's what conflict can be for us. Maybe conflict can be solved a different way than the world around us would solve it. In preparation for this talk today, um, I just kind of pulled out of my library a book called The Peacemaker. The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. I really recommend this book. He's actually an attorney and a Christian and has some really great practical things for us to take away about how to engage and succeed in conflict. This is the definition that he came up with. Conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. So when we have two different opinions or goals or desires and they come into connection with each other, we experience conflict. But let me tell you what else is also in the conflict. Let me say who else is also in the conflict. Christ is in the conflict. Christ is in the conflict. And our goal over the next couple weeks together is to figure out what are some principles that the Bible clearly gives us and that Jesus' teachings can lead us to understanding how we might do conflict differently than the world. Here's a thought. What we do shows 
what we believe. What we do shows what we believe. Sometimes, if you're honest, if we can be honest just for a few moments, because it's the best way to be, we don't want that to be true. Right? We want people to do as I say, not as I do. But when we really look at our lives and the choices that we make and the actions that we take and the words that we speak, they really are indicators. They show what we value. They show what we prioritize. They show what we believe. And over these next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of James. James was written by Jesus' brother. And church history and most scholars agree that James may have been the first book ever written, the first letter ever written that was collected into what we call the Bible. And James was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem, and he was so concerned that people would understand this concept, that what we do shows what we believe. And so, in chapter 1, Verse 19, you can uh, take out your phone if you want to follow along on your phone. Uh, you can access the Bible on your phone if you didn't know that. Um, it's a great tool to use. I won't think you're texting. Um, or if you have a, a real, like a, a real, like a paper one too. Or it's on the screen. Let's, let's hear the word of God for us today. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person... Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one's self unstained from the world. Even in conflict... Faith must inform our lives. James is saying that faith and action, that knowledge and experience are inseparably tied together. That we can't receive God's truth with meekness or humility and be aggressively asserting our arguments and fierce dominance in conflict. It just can't happen. 
And I've struggled with this word meekness. Again, it could be translated as humbleness or receiving in humility. But weakness is, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the ability for a strong woman or a strong man to set aside their need to be right. To recognize that God is in the conflict and God is in control and it is God who will vindicate, not us. That's what it means to be meek with others and with God. Submissive and not rebellious, not passive, but waiting on God. Christianity is essentially about living a life for God. And so James unpacks how we can understand our actions being connected to our faith. Are you with me? One. That was one, not rhetorical. You with me? Okay. So, James 1.26 in the New Living Translation says this. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. If you are anything like me, that verse hits you like a ton of bricks. That's just getting to the point. That's just saying like it is. Okay? If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. The tongue is small but powerful. Words are powerful. The Bible says that the very existence of the universe was spoken into being. That God said, let there be light, and there was. And we are reflections of that creator. And his creation, our words, have power. Your words mean something. They do, whether you think so or not. Our words have the power to build up. And our words have the power to tear down. Our words have the power to encourage. And our words have the power to discourage. Our words have the power to bring life. And unfortunately, our words have the power to bring death. The ancient Jewish wisdom writers knew this all too well. In our Old Testament, the book of Proverbs is a collection of sayings and axioms and truths. And in it, God has shown us what it means to be wise. Here are some of the things that they say about the tongue and how we speak. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A soft anger, a soft answer, excuse me, turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Whoever restrains his words 
has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Maybe some other words that you've heard or used before. You're so beautiful. Great job. I knew you were worried about it, but you pulled it through. You did it. I know it's a tough time, but you're going to make it. Don't worry. You are strong. I believe in you. Words of life. Or maybe, how could you be so stupid? Only a fool would do or say that. I can't even believe I have to live with you. Why are you always making me mad? You make me sick. You're so ugly. Words of death. Our words are the power of life and death. James continues in chapter 3. He goes on to say how the tongue has the ability to control where one's life goes. It's small, but it's powerful. He says it's like the bit in the horse's mouth. It's like the bit in a horse's mouth, this little piece of metal. And yet with this little piece of metal, you're able to control this massive and impressive animal. Or he says, maybe it's like the rudder, the rudder of a ship. You could be in a strong storm and the ship could be huge, but that captain guides that rudder, ship goes where it's supposed to. But it could also be a forest fire. It can light a fire on your life. Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible called The Message says it this way. It's going to be on the screen, and I want us to read it together. It only takes a spark. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, go up in smoke with it, smoke right Once you speak the words, you can't take them back. Once they come out of your mouth, they're out of your control. Our whole life is lit on fire because there are very few sins that don't somehow involve the way we speak. James continues again in, in, in chapter 3 saying... 
For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by humanity, but no human could tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this, these things ought not to be. Another translation says, this isn't right. It's not a silence of words. It's a lack of control. Blessing and cursing from the same mouth. This is not right. We can use our words as a weapon. And I want to really bring this in for some application here today. So I'm going to put a lot on the screen now if you want to take a picture of it or write notes or whatever. But I hope that these points are helpful in applying what James is saying here to us today. Reckless words. Some of us just are not thinking. They're saying things. You're saying things. You're not thinking. Number two, complaining. Y'all know who you are. Got some complainers in the house maybe today. Focusing on the negative, complaining, falsehood. Maybe you told a lie. Maybe you told what I call a fish story, like you caught a fish, it was this big, but the next time you told the story, it's a little bit bigger. Gossip. Gossip is sharing somebody's story when you don't need to. Slander. Speaking maliciously to destroy someone else. Worthless talk. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't let your talk be worthless or idle or filthy, but speak words that build up. Speak words that are good, that encourage. And I just want to pause here for one moment just to speak to three things that came to my heart. I thought about maybe not mentioning them, but they kept on coming back, and I talked to some friends about it, and I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up. The three things are this. Cursing, sarcasm, and cynicism. How much are those three things in your mouth? Cursing. Do you have to offend with the words you choose? Cynicism. Is every joke you laugh at or tell about putting someone or something down? Cynicism. Do you really believe the best about the world and about people? The next part is listening. You know, we live in a culture that um, is going a mile a minute. The way that we communicate is faster than ever before. We are able to exchange information, ideas, and opinions at a rate never seen before in humanity, and it makes us bad listeners. I've really needed to work on my listening skills. Anybody else? Yeah, some three honest people, the rest of you, I don't know. 
Here are some practical tips if you need to listen more. Remember, James said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, quick to listen. You got two ears for a reason and only one mouth. So here are some ways to listen. Wait, don't interrupt. Wait, when you're in conflict with someone, you need to listen to what they're saying. The second thing is attending. Like, do you know what is being even said? Or are you thinking about what you're doing tomorrow? The truth is that you can actually think four times faster than someone else can speak. So if you don't slow your roll, you can't listen. Clarifying. Clarifying is basically repeating back what someone else has already said. Say, did I hear you right? Is this what you were saying? Reflecting. Reflecting is actually adding emotion to it. Paraphrasing it as you're in a conversation with somebody you're in conflict with and saying, is this, is this what I did that made you feel this way? And lastly, agreeing. You know, sometimes this is the hardest part about being in conflict with someone, isn't it? Because sometimes what's actually being said to you is true. Now you're in trouble. Because the last thing you want to do when you're in conflict with someone is admit they might be right. But if there is something true, then affirm that. So your tongue can be a weapon. We can learn how to listen well, but your tongue can also bring healing. Again, this is trying to get to the point that Jesus has called us to enter into conflict differently. That Jesus has a new and better way for us to go through conflict. If you have received the love and grace and mercy of God, if you breathe that into your life, then breathe that out on others. Breathe out God's grace on someone. Breathe out God's love on someone. They may not deserve it, and guess what? You didn't either. Secondly, make charitable judgments. That means believe the best about someone until you've been proven otherwise. Number three, speak the truth in love. You might need to say something difficult to someone. You might need to parent your kid in a way that is uncomfortable, but you still need to say it they got to know you love them. Number four, start with Christ. If you're having a moment of conflict with someone and you're at odds with someone who is a brother and sister in Jesus, you got to start there. Because both of you, myself included, all come under his authority. So, the tongue is powerful. But then often we have a problem with anger. James 1.20 says, The anger of man or human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Which simply means this. If you want to get closer to God, you getting angry isn't getting you there. And anger seems to be everywhere in our culture. Everyone's getting triggered off of everything. And my question would be, why? Why are we angry? Because something's not right. Something's not right. Anger is a God-given emotion. 
but it needs to be used in the right way. Anger is not a sin, but it can very easily lead to sin. God gets angry. There are many things that happen and that have happened and that will happen that anger God. Jesus got angry. But our anger, our human anger, is often selfish. It's often seeking to be right. It's often because we are stressed out and we don't know how to cope. And we get angry. Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says some pretty tough words about anger. I think a lot of this today is kind of a tough word, honestly. But he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Y'all know the Sermon on the Mount? You heard of that before? Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, he took all the law Jesus did, and he kind of made it even harder. Woohoo! So, anyways, you have heard that it was said to those of old, this is chapter 5, verse 21, you shall not murder. Okay, that was the initial rule. Don't kill people. It still applies today. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. What? Jesus just took murder and he said, you know what? It's actually when you get angry. That's when you actually get liable to judgment. Whoever insults, that word insults is raka. We don't even know how to translate it. Some translations like translate it as uh, you idiot. It's like just a word that you would go- use to just insult someone. I can't believe you did this, you raka. Anybody who does that is, la- is liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gifts. Simply put is this. If you got something against someone else, it is going to disconnect you to God. God says, before you want to be made right with me, you better go make yourself right with each other. Bitterness and anger and resentment towards each other, especially those in the body of Christ, disconnects us from God. There is a better way to go through conflict. Jesus has a better way. Later on in Matthew, Jesus is talking to the religious authorities who we often had disagreements with and conflict with. And he's actually pretty angry at this point. And he uses a term called the parasuma, the parasuma of the heart. So we have the power of the tongue and we have the problem of anger, but we also have the parasuma of the heart. Parasuma is a Greek word and it means abundance. Can you say abundance? Abundance. It is the abundance or the overflow of the heart. Matthew 12 says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, for the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, this is Jesus talking. Jesus talking, not Steve talking. Jesus talking. I tell you, on the day of judgment... 
People will give account for every careless word they speak. Man. That's tough. That's tough. Am I the only one? For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I think this simply means you mean what you say. I don't want that to be true. Maybe the words that you chose weren't the right ones, and so you don't mean those particular words, but the words and the way that you spoke and the way that I spoke, we meant because it came out of our heart. And so if our heart is broken, the words that we use are going to hurt. Because out of the abundance or the parasuma of the heart, the mouth speaks. I don't know about you, but this was a, it's a tough message. It's a tough message. It's a, it's a rubber meets a road type of message. I have a, a genetically engineered loud voice. It is a blessing and a curse. It's difficult because I also have a family who is incredibly explosive. When I preach these words, I'm thinking of myself. Because there have been times when I have been insensitive. And there are times when I've been stressed. And there have been times when I've lost my temper. And all of you probably didn't see it. But the ones I love the most did. And so I preach this message and I say, I'm sorry. I hear these hard words from Christ and they drive me to confess. This is not right. can uh, lift up pious and holy prayers on a Sunday morning. Look in our Sunday best. But if we're losing our cool with our family the rest of the week, there's a problem. We could come into church and sing the songs of Jesus, but if on Monday we are yelling at all of our coworkers, especially those who we might be over, there's a problem. If we're serving in ministry, giving our time and our finances, teaching whatever Sunday school, whatever job you can think of in the church, and on Wednesday, we're tearing down our sister behind their back because our heart is sick, 
there's a problem. And it's because out of the parasuma of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your words show your heart. If this message is hitting you today, I want to encourage you in this. There is hope. The strong words of Jesus and the strong words of James do not take away the good news that God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. His grace is sufficient for all your needs. There is hope. You may have said words that you remember decades ago, but there is still hope. You might have said something yesterday that you wish you could take back, and you are currently in a place of conflict with someone you love. There is still hope. The good news of Jesus Christ is that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter how many times we may have wanted to take those words back, there is still hope. God's grace is for us, friends. These words are not made to condemn. These words are made to convict and to recognize that we can't do it on our own. No human being has been able to tame the tongue, but guess who can? The power of God living in your life by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a supernatural way of changing you from the inside out. The Holy Spirit has a way of taking your tongue and using it for life and not death. The Holy Spirit is active in this place, speaking to you on the places that only you know. Speaking to me in the areas that only I know. Saying there's hope. And so let's uh, think practically here as we close today. My prayer, our prayer, our hope throughout this series, not just today, is that we as Christians would see conflict differently. That we would recognize the power of our words and the reason for our anger. Maybe it's not about just our genetics or how we grew up, but maybe there's some brokenness in our life. There's some pain that we've never talked about. There's some anxiety that we're going through that is causing anger in our heart. Today's the day to deal with that, friends. God knows it's there. And God's the one who could take it away. When we're in conflict, we need to remember who we are. Remember who we are. So six things to take away today. Number one, can we all confess that we have all said something we didn't mean at some point in our life? <laughs> okay. We're all on the same page. It's comforting. Number two, some of us need to let go of the past. 
Some of us are remembering the words that cut us down and we need to let it go. Some of us on the other side though, some of us have said some things that we need to seek forgiveness for. Number three. Number three, some of you might be in places where you are currently in a place of conflict where you need to be reconciled to your brother or sister. You know what that situation is. I may have no idea what you're going through, but you do. And God is moving in your heart right now saying, if you want to be right with me, you got to be right with her. you got to go be right with him. And so your takeaway is, i got to reconcile with my brother or sister. Number four, some of us need the peace of God to transcend our understanding. In a world that is full of stress, the peace of God can bring life. That the, that the strength of the gospel is with us. That it is not your power that will make you successful in this area of your life. It is the power of Jesus in our lives that will make us different from the world. Number six, don't forget. Don't look in the mirror and walk away. Don't leave this place and walk outside. Don't, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who we are. We are loved by God and chosen by him. We are saved by his grace, and we are the way that people will meet Jesus. You might not like that, but it's true. People will know God's love because of you. People will know God's grace because of you. People will know God's forgiveness because of you. So let's all stand to our feet. We're just going to bow our heads together, believing that God's word is moving still in this place and moving in your hearts and in your lives. And so we're just going to have a time of prayer before we leave. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for this word. It's a tough word, Lord, but it is a hopeful word. For in it, God, we want to be your people who are quick to listen, who are slow to speak, and who are slow to become angry. God, in these moments of silence, show us how we can better follow you. And now as we go into this week, Father, we ask that you would just guide us and direct us by your Holy Spirit, knowing that, Jesus, you have covered all of our sins by the power of your cross and that you have been raised to life again, that we would know life both now and forever. Amen. God bless you all.